0: Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of The Main Idea Podcast, where today I have the pleasure of sitting down in person with Casey Parlett. It's some exciting stuff today, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been listening to the show for the last year plus, you know that it has been a dream of mine to do this show in person. I'm very grateful for the digital medium and the ability to converse with guests all over the world, but I have always valued face-to-face conversation And for those of you listening on Spotify or watching on YouTube, I really hope that you enjoy the full production. This is something that I'm going to keep making an effort to do going forward with local guests here in the San Diego area, as well as traveling up to Los Angeles. I'm going to make a push until this show exists in a studio setting where all guests will be face-to-face. If you love this podcast and want to support it, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continue to bring on amazing guests. There's also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Casey Parlett is a former professional Muay Thai fighter, current jujitsu enthusiast, training partner, and co-owner of DBC Fitness in Carlsbad, California. He also recently opened the doors to their recovery center, which I've been going to weekly as part of my recovery routine. And as a special gift, Casey has extended an offer for the listeners of this show who live in the San Diego area. So if you're interested in becoming part of this community at the recovery center, They're offering $70 off their membership. There's a link in the show notes, so feel free to take advantage of that. It's something that I try to incorporate into my training routine at least twice a week between the sauna, the cold plunge, compression therapy, and all the amazing tools that they have there at their disposal. In my eyes, DBC's Recovery Center is an example of flawless execution from the level of cleanliness to the equipment selection and quality. Nothing was skipped when they designed this facility. So check it out. I hope that you enjoy the first in-person episode of The Main Idea Podcast, just as much as I did. Without further ado, Casey Parlett. Casey, we're here officially in person. I've wanted to do this for over a year and a half. So thank you so much for being here and making this a reality, man.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you for being here. And thanks for doing it in the gym and kind of giving me an opportunity to stay here and have have the conversation that essentially my home
0: let's rewind the clock a ways and get into fighting in general but what was it really that pulled you into martial arts why this sport of all the things you could do you're talented you're athletic you could have gone into multiple different sports but what was it about that where you were like this is what i got to get into
1: uh i mean i think my story is similar to most professional fighters um I started martial arts when I was three years old. Um, When I was really little, did traditional karate from three to seven, I think. Karate wasn't cool in those days. Martial arts (laughs) weren't cool in those (laughs) days. Um, So, played, did all the team sports and kind of pretty early, like seventh, eighth grade, learned that team sports weren't my thing. I hated losing because of other people. Um, So, I kind of drifted towards like the extreme sports world, race BMX bikes snowboard wakeboard kind of that world um, I also grew up the youngest of four boys um, nice. I didn't I didn't, drink, <laughs> I didn't drink I didn't do drugs through through school so yeah. like I was already like the weird the weird outcast kid um, gotten a lot of fights growing up yep. um, having martial arts even at a young age like I knew how to fight I was small so it just kind of in a sense like it just kind of pulled me into it um, I had I was working as a bouncer right out of high school. I was had just started training again and uh, kind of long story shorter. Uh, I ended up moving down to Southern California. Basically was training, got offered a fight, won, got offered another fight, won, and all of a sudden like 10 fights in before I lost and it was just kind of what
0: I did. Uh, what was it about the team sports thing? Because that's something I identified with a lot too growing up. Like I skied competitively. I played soccer, but I played soccer, so I stayed in shape for other things that I wanted to do. But there was something about this, like knowing that I could show up and work super hard and other people could just not give a shit. That dynamic like never sat well with me, but I I don't think I realized that until much later. But what was the age where you realized like, I'm an individual sports guy, this could, doesn't light me because some people get lit up by team sports, right? They get f- come fully alive when they're in that kind of environment. They get pushed by people and that's like their setting. Why did you feel a rejection of that?
1: Um, I, I mean, It's super similar. Um, I, I'll just tell, tell the story. Yeah. So played Pop <laughs> Warner football. Uh, we had a, a really good team one year. I think I was seventh grade yeah. and we were one game away from going to like the Pop Warner Super Bowl in Orlando, Florida, or whatever, like, super big deal. Yeah. And in those days, it was better than it is now, but, like, everybody on the team had to play at least four downs.
0: Just so that you get rotation. So, gets so that,
1: like, the kids that essentially suck, that yeah. shouldn't be there anyway, that their parents just kind of put them there because they want their kids to play football, so they get their playing time. Yeah. So, like, those kids had to have their four downs, and we essentially lost a game by one touchdown because one of those kids – got ran over, missed a tackle, and, and that was it. And it was, like, so disheartening. Like, you play offense, defense, special teams. Yep. And even at that age, like, it was so frustrating because same personality I have now, I had then, and, like, I was all into everything that I did. And I yep. worked my ass off, like, no matter what. And I was in it to win. I was in it to be the best. And exactly that. Like, yep. you lose because of somebody else because somebody else didn't care as much as you did. And I don't think I, like, necessarily put it together at that age, like, that I wasn't a team sports person. But Mm -hmm. I think naturally I kind of gravitated towards those individual and kind of fringe sports because of that. Uh, And then I'll kind of, just because it kind of, it's fitting and it kind of, like, stems into some of the other stuff that I've done in my life. I took a break from fighting when I first opened the CrossFit gym in 2010. This was like Mm -hmm. right when the CrossFit Games was kind of kicking off and getting big. And I got talked into competing for a couple of years. And we had...
0: Like trying to go to the games.
1: Trying to go to the games. And I basically, like I was training, had a fight scheduled, and everybody was like, you got to compete with us, you got to compete. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. It'll be fun. Like whatever. It'll be just kind of like a one deal thing competed. We were pretty good for like what we should have been the next in year. In team, team. team yeah. Like yeah, the yeah. team CrossFit yeah. competitions that they were doing. And I like, as the owner of the gym and like the leader, I felt like it was like, I was like almost obligated in some ways to yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, basically like competitive exercising is stupid and that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but like as a leader and as a competitive person, I was like, well, <laughs> we're I'm- circling back on CrossFit. Don't worry. <laughs> we're going
0: to get there. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, but basically like essentially the same thing happened. Like, the following year we were in in the place where we would have gone to the CrossFit games, which is like a huge deal. Like as an affiliate in those days, like you have a team that goes to the CrossFit games, like it's like a huge marketing push and members coming into your gym because of that. So I had that side of it and the, like, I want to win side. And we basically lost because one person like shit the bed and like didn't do what they were supposed to do and couldn't pull their weight. And like, I knew at that point I wasn't a team sports person, but it, was, it just kind of like cemented it in. Like, yeah. I am not a team sports person. And it's not because I don't believe in people or that. It's just like, I want to be surrounded by people that want it as bad as I do. And when you're on a big team,
0: it's a mixed bag. It's really,
1: really hard to no. get that. Uh, and like when I was fighting, I was the type of person where like, I knew that I depended on my teammates, the people that I trained with every day, my coaching staff, all the people that worked with me. And when I won, we all won together. But when we lost, like I took that all on. Like I lost because I lost. Like it had nothing to do with anybody else. I was in the ring, but they were the ones that helped me win. So like, I very much believe in the team atmosphere in some versions, but I know for me, I'm a much better
0: person when I'm the individual competing. Hello friends. Please let me take a minute to share my experience about why I love my sponsor AG1. I started taking AG1 because I believe that health starts on the cellular level and believe that gut health is as important as brain health. Between surfing, strength training, jujitsu, striking, and running through businesses, I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I drink AG1 every morning before starting my day. And it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens, I've done a solid for myself and my well-being. As you may know, I'm a creature of habit, and adding AG1 to my daily regimen is an easy to do, tasteful hack that gives me assurance that I'm building my health 365 days a year. So if you want to take ownership over your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. That's drinkag1.com slash A-B-E. Check it out and take advantage of the offer. It is interesting in those settings, like to be a good individual competitor, you have to be surrounded by quality people. So if you are a top, like a prize fighter, look to the left, look to the right. These guys are surrounded by people that, are pushing them to become the best version of themselves, challenging them in points of weakness, and then also lifting them up in terms of technique, sleep, recovery, all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny when you find people like ourselves who thrive in those individual environments where like, I mean, even with jujitsu is a good example. I am better when I get to train with people like you because you push me a way that I, am like maybe I don't notice with someone else or we do stand up and you trip the fuck out of me and other people don't do that or someone else challenges you in a different way. So even though it's individual, if you decide to compete or on the day to day, you being with there with that other person is the only reason why you're able to get better. So it is a, it's a unique, like the team thing where the the team winning isn't the element, but you being able to thrive is a product of being surrounded by people. So when, when you were younger, I think we'll kind of juxtapose this against this childhood incident because it's so common that people that end up in martial arts or fighting or something of that capacity, there was a moment in their childhood where they got beat up, they got picked on, they got put down. Maybe it was uh, being ostracized because you're not partaking in, in partying and drinking like everyone else. But in those initial instances of like bullying, getting beat up, getting in fights, what was that like? What was it? What was it like to depart from? The kind of normalcy of an everyday kid's life and then be ending up in these physical altercations
1: um yeah and i mean i'm 38 so like it was still acceptable to get in fights like you'd get in a fight in, at school and like yeah. to get sit home for the day and then like be back a day later or whatever and nobody cared like it's not like it is right. now so i think fighting in general was much more accepted in some ways then um but yeah i mean i was really small so like until i was a junior in high school i was like five foot two five foot three plus i was like the youngest in my family had surrounded by all boys um so from from there for me it was just kind of i learned how to fight i learned how to defend myself i was tough i was strong because of like the environment that i grew up in but i also had that like nobody's gonna tell me how it is and I'm not going to back down to anybody. Like I'm always, I'm I'm always going to, I'm always going to be there to back up whatever. And if you have something to say to me, I'm going to be in your face. Yeah. Uh, And I, and I wasn't the, the shit talking type. If you had a problem with me and I knew you had a problem with me and you got too close to me, I was just going to hit you because (laughs) I, because I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to give you the chance. Yeah. Uh, And I trained in martial arts at a young age. Like you, those are things that you learn and, like even as silly as like traditional karate is in some ways, like the instincts and the things that it teach you and like sparring at a young age mm-hmm. and not being afraid to get hit and knowing that you're not made of glass, like goes a really long way. And there's a lot of like the tough kids in high school that think they're really tough and then you hit them and that's the end yeah. of the fight, right? Yeah. So for me, it was... And I, and I wasn't out like looking for fights, but I also wasn't yeah. going to back down for the fight. So I wasn't like just going out and picking on people. I wasn't a bully, but I also wasn't a pushover, a pushover. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's interesting. Cause I didn't, I didn't grow up in a town that had like a martial arts presence, a small ski town, right? Everyone skis, everyone trains for skiing. So there wasn't this like jujitsu, uh, karate, Muay Thai, there was wrestling. But when I was growing up, wrestling wasn't cool yet. <laughs> it wasn't, it was like the corn fed kids did wrestling and everyone else was like, uh, I don't want to go wear a spandex and roll around on, uh, these mats of these people, right? And lo and behold, these are like all the UFC champions now. Um, but at the time I had like this primal fear about interact of altercation. Not that I was afraid that I would back down. I just was, it was all uncertainty. I didn't know what would happen if I ever got an interaction with someone else. So at a, at a young age, even like going to the BMX park, I just had this like radar on my head where I would be very wary and distance from everyone. And I think I carried it into, my adult life, not in like a lack of confidence, but just being very hyper aware of the situation. And jujitsu was a great thing because it finally gave me that opportunity to like express all this desire I had to, to like fight. We would do like dumb boxing matches and stuff when we were kids, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're just all throwing haymakers and some people get clocked and some people don't. And the people that get clocked think they suck at fighting and the people that hit the other person think they're great. So <laughs> it's like your perception of who you really are just makes no sense. When you went overseas, you went to what? What was the transition from like getting into fighting, fighting in California, and being like, I'm going to Thailand. I'm going to go to the motherland of like where this art truly takes place.
1: Um, yeah. So I kind of I gravitated towards Muay Thai pretty early on. Uh, I had a coach in Petaluma where I grew up, in Northern California, and I had just started training with him, just like pure like just training to train. Um, he was really well known in our area for self defense. He's very, very good at what he did. All kind of started in Jikundo, um yep. Bruce Lee's art were kinda of like the first mixed martial arts, however you want to look at it. So we did a lot of a lot of weapon stuff. We did a lot of crazy things where he'd lock us in like little tiny closets, <laughs> the three of us, and it was like everybody against everybody go.
0: I think he'd that's called
1: some, child abuse actually. <laughs> some something like that. <laughs> um, so I kind of started there. I ended up moving to Southern California just to get out of hometown and Ended up training out of Team Quest and had some amazing coaches that I got to work with there. Um, When Dan Henderson was training there with Sean Tompkins and um, Sean Tompkins' guys would come down, Sam Stout, Chris um, Hordecki, Mark Hominick, like that that group. Um, And then, like, everybody that would come through Team Quest getting ready for big fights. So I was in an amazing place. And I just kind of starting off, it was like, amateur kickboxing and then muay thai and i just kind of linked up with one of the trainers there jokes joe sarkeesian um and he was in the muay thai world and just started pushing me through fights and i really was drawn to like the traditional aspect
0: of it yeah
1: um especially in those days mma was like a brawler sport Barber. it's when tap out was big and like you knew like uh, if, the, if if the guy that you were fighting was in tap out shorts that there was going to be no technique and he was going to be just trying to brawl right. with you so that kind of started to push me more and more into the traditional route i still trained um, jiu-jitsu and still trained wrestling uh, but if i had an opportunity to fight a muay thai fight versus an mma fight i was taking the muay thai fight because i right. just really like, enjoyed that aspect of it and those days, it was really hard to get Muay Thai fights. So, um, in the US, or in, in the US, yeah. yeah. So, and like especially in California, there just wasn't a lot going on. And so I'd fight, 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 and then all of a sudden there'd be a dry spell. And in those days, like if I wasn't fighting, I felt like I was wasting time.
0: Well, and isn't isn't Muay Thai a little bit more high frequency bouts like? You fight often, much you, more often in Muay Thai than you're going to fight in mixed martial arts.
1: Um, yeah, you can. And like even as a, like when I was fighting MMA um, and like coming up, um, I would fight as much as possible. I had a yeah. I had a coach at one point and basically told me like fighters fight. So you must better be fighting because <laughs> so like there's, there's <laughs> yeah. guys in the gym, they're like, I'm a fighter, I'm a fighter. And then they get offered to fight and they're like, I can't, I'm not ready. And so I was just always ready. I I took a fight at one point, like the shortest notice fight I ever had was 10 hours. And it was not like a not like a smoker fight, like a legit yeah. sanctioned fight like and coach called me. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. All right, meet me here. <laughs> we're we're fighting. This is who you're fighting. We'll figure it out when we get there.
0: Well, aren't you and aren't you on like on the, ama- the amateur level? Right. Yeah. So on the amateur level, aren't you just dealing with a ton of just like bureaucracy and BS and like people aren't really as much as they say they weigh. There's like just a lot of gray area in terms of who your opponent's actually going to be on the night that you're really fighting.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, to an extent, um, but more so in those days, like you're basically fighting as a professional, but instead of getting a check written to you, they're just handing you an envelope full of cash. Like (laughs) everything, everything was pretty much the same. (laughs) Like that was really the big difference. Um, It's very different now with like the camo organizations and, Kind of how much the ikf has gotten involved in the amateur stuff but i mean i would show up to fight an amateur fight and the rule sets were essentially the same um still weighing in the, the same way that the pros were weighing in weight class were the same the gloves right. were the same um uh, literally the only difference was is i wasn't getting drug tested right. and they were handing me cash instead of a check
0: was there temptation to do peds and to dope at that time? i because i always think about this like you are putting your, I think it's hard for people to understand when you're strength training or weightlifting or something, it's you against the bar. And if you're not on point that day, you're not on point. When you step in the ring with somebody, you can get really fucked up. And if that person isn't who they say they are, and they're doing performance enhancing drugs, they're on steroids, and it's not an organization that tests for it, the difference between getting punched in the face by someone who's on steroids and someone who's not is like a serious problem. The risk goes up significantly. That person's able to recover at a pace that like you just can't recover. It's like a 20 year old and a 40 year old. So is there temptation when you're coming up in the amateur ranks and you're trying to break into the pros and you, you basically just have to win, 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 right? There's no margin for error.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's very cutthroat. Like you have to win all the time. You either, you either start winning and get on the good side or you lose, and then you're just brought in to lose. And yeah. um, I was, I'd was, i been on both sides of it coming up. Starting off, like you fight for promoters that are trying to build people up, and you just got to go in and beat them. Um, for me, I was straight edge, and I still am straight edge. Yeah. So like the, the steroids never was even a thought for me. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people that I trained with over the years that did them um just is what it is and wasn't your cup of tea was, wasn't wasn't yeah. my deal um and yeah like i i would never not fight especially in those days um because i knew somebody was on steroids like i was gonna beat him anyway i didn't care
0: i feel like uh, that's the only mental mindset but, you can adopt but
1: like looking back like like you said like it is a it's a life or death sport and that's yeah. how i trained and we can kind of segue into that stuff but like, when I, when I train, like, I train with, like, this person's, like, there to kill me, and it's, like, kill or be killed, and so, like, that kind of came across in the way that I worked out, and the way that I ate, and the way that I lifted weights, and the way that I ran and did all the stupid stuff, like, even when I was fighting for $300, like, I still train, like, I was a professional yeah. getting paid $300,000, um, so, like, the, the steroids thing is, it's fucked, and if you're taking them, you're a cheater, like, period, the end, like, I don't care what sport you're in, like, I know it's, like, a big thing in the jujitsu world, Mm -hmm. um, and there's some people that are, there's some organizations that are testing for it, and some that aren't, and some that are just saying, like, it's okay, because it's not, like, a true combat sport, and there's no, there's no striking, but it's total bullshit, because of exactly what you said, is, like, when you take a performance-enhancing drug, like, it's allowing you to do something that you wouldn't be able to do without it. Right. Even, even down, like, there's a huge argument. Now, we don't need to get too far into the weeds yeah. on this, but I think it's interesting. Like, the people always bitch and complain about marijuana not being legal and people getting popped for marijuana. And, like, yes. Like, is it a performance-enhancing drug in the sense that, like, it's making you stronger or it's going to make you more powerful? Like, like, no. Right. But if it's allowing you... To sleep at night when you otherwise wouldn't be able to sleep. Like for anybody that's been through a fight camp, like those last weeks when you're cutting weight, like you're dealing with sleepless nights over and over and over again. And if smoking pot allows you to sleep, like now you have an advantage.
0: That's a performance advantage, yeah.
1: Right? And it's and it's really like simple in that area. And people will argue and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Like it's my opinion. I think it's total bullshit. I don't think like if you're going to compete in a true combat sport against somebody else, like just do it the right way. And just, if you don't have it in you to do it without it, I don't, I don't believe you should compete. People can hate me for that. I don't really care, but like that's how I truly feel because I've been there and I've done it.
0: Right. I think, well, I think that's the, the true athlete speaking and, my my views on this have gone back and forth over time i think not not that i'm a fan of cheaters and cheating I, I would agree with you on that i think that when you're when you and and the degree to which you can dope is pretty significant right like you, you look at what lance armstrong accomplished take away the doping it's a different dude you know like that his ability to dope the way that he doped and it's not to say that other people in the tour de france weren't doing it too right they were but the fact that he could put him in the position that he was in.
1: Yeah, and and that's it.
0: That sucks, dude. For me as an athlete growing up, watching how amazing that was and recognizing on one side of it, this is fantastic. Look at what this guy's doing for cancer research. Look at how many lives he is inspiring. Do you want to go back and take that all away? No, because that's a net positive for society. But when you look at it as an athlete, as someone who put blood, sweat and tears into trying to be the best at something as bad as you fucking can, it's infuriating when someone is willing to do that. When you look at jiu-jitsu, like ADCC, to one degree, I'm hats off to ADCC because they're very transparent about it. They're not trying to lie and say that all their guys are clean. They know their guys aren't clean and they're very open door about it. But deep down, there's part of it that kind of sucks because why can't we just have guys that aren't doping compete, especially in a sport like jiu-jitsu? I mean, a lot of the time is spent in entanglements and on the ground and jockeying for a position. So is steroids making that that much more exciting. I don't think so. I think it might make the guys look fucking insane. I mean, some of these guys are, are literally look like they can walk through brick wall, walls, but as the fan, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. When it you see it takes
1: happen. it takes away the I could do that too.
0: Right, because yes, I mean that's well said. It it does change the perspective of the fan because now you're distance from it. And I think that's one thing that makes sports so beautiful is you can go outside and grab a football and throw with your friend. And you can think about being a football player. And when you see guys that are just superhuman, you're left with a choice. you go, Do I want to be superhuman and make superhuman choices to get that way? Or do I want to be normal and boring? Which is a bummer that that's option two. I mean, it should be, or I can do this the, the natural way. And I mean, it is in a sense a great segue because we both respect recovery so much and put so much effort into that kind of thing in our own training, even as guys in their thirties who do this for fun. When did you start to value recovery?
1: Um, not early enough. <laughs> that's the, that's the simple answer. Yeah. I mean, I was just like every other young athlete. It was train more, train yep. more, train more. Um, probably, man, I was 20, Three maybe 24 and I had a strength conditioning coach that I was working with and he asked me one day like how often do you take a day off and I was like what do you mean a day off and he's like how often do you like not do anything I was like well like usually like one day a week I won't work out but I'll surf or yeah. I'll go for a run and he's like no 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 like do you ever like take a day off and I was like like sometimes like I'll literally like <laughs> just do an easy surf and he's like no do you ever like do nothing like, and no. he's like, just do me a favor. Yeah. Leading up to this next fight, just every Sunday, don't do anything. You can go for a walk and that's it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my workouts on Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, which are like the harder days through your training week, didn't feel so bad. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, that was like one of those first light bulbs that kind of started to go off. Like, okay, like if I actually rest and recover, like I'm getting more out of my training week. Right. Your training, especially in those days, I was working full-time jobs. I had this gym, that gym, this training session, that training session, back to clients. Like, you're all over the place trying to eat as well as I could. And then kind of at that same time, I, like, really started to dial my nutrition in, really started to understand um, food quantity and food quality. I was yeah. weighing, started weighing and measuring um, and started using weighing and measuring to do my weight cuts so like all of that stuff. So you were started. more
0: calculated and less like dice roll on that yes. stuff. Yes,
1: and like I always had a pretty good understanding of it, just from reading and self-educating mm-hmm. um, through some of my education. But as I kind of started to learn more and kind of like really dial it in, I kind of started to lean way heavier on that science-based approach. My training started to get more science-based. I started to understand like really like what the energy systems were doing and how they were how they needed to be trained. Um, and it was kind of like, so I guess like my recovery and kind of my understanding of all of, all of the things that were going to make me a better athlete all kind of started to come together around that same time. And all of a sudden, right, I started to understand like truly like the importance of that aerobic base, which so yeah. many fighters skip.
0: Yeah. Because uh, so they just spar or they, they, just, they just run. Spar
1: or they just spar or it's all... I got to do sprints. I got to do this. They didn't want to go put the miles in because putting miles in sucks. It's horrible. like,
0: well, and there's that weird trade off as an athlete where when you, everything you do has an opportunity cost because if you're going to run, you could be strength training. If you're going to strength train, you could be running. If you're going to do either, you could be sparring. So there's like, you're constantly juggling what you could be doing. And I think as, as the young athlete, what you do is you go, I got to train hard and that's always, I mean, I can, you know, when I was, Competing a scene, that's all I cared about. I thought that every moment should be spent training harder because no one was telling me otherwise. I didn't have a facility like this where you could go and just recover and not do like advised not to do anything else. And I didn't have people in my life, even the top level athletes that I looked up to and I really aspired to be like, none of them were talking about taking care of yourself. It was just days in the weight room, days on the hill, days in the weight room, days on the hill. And then that cycle repeated infinity times through the off season until you could get back on snow when you having the the perspective that you have of being in the United States competing training in a, a gym where let's be honest s- some of the gnarliest killers in mixed martial arts were you weren't at Bob's boxing gym down the street right you're, you're training with really top-notch guys and then going overseas did you see a difference at all in how the two worlds thought about striking and thought about recovering and thought about training modalities
1: um yeah for sure so I mean, the the MMA gym and kind of the MMA world, especially in the United States, it was essentially that, like even, I mean, I was coming up 2006, 2007, 2008 was like when I was like really kind of like spinning in the team quest zone and probably like all the way to 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was train harder, train more, spar harder. Um, I mean, they, we used to have, I think it was Monday nights, it was like death match Monday. Like it, that's Sign that's me up. <laughs> That it was called. And it was five, five minute rounds with yeah. people like roughly at your weight class. And it was and, hard. And it was I mean, you were fighting. You were fighting yeah. every Monday. I um, mean, I would do it because I didn't know any better. Um, so.
0: Well, and there's probably that mental side where, like, if you don't go and your teammates go.
1: Yeah. Then you're a bitch. They get
0: it. Right. They get another <laughs> one on you. Right. Yeah.
1: So. So you have that. And then at the same time, like kind of with the recovery talk, like and then. On Tuesday, you were expected to show up in the morning and train, and then on Tuesday night, and do it and train again. Yeah. And there wasn't like in between, you should be getting soft tissue work and doing this and doing that. Like, towards the end, they started to bring in some different people, and all of a sudden, like, there was somebody there that would like stretch me out before or after Wild. the session, right? <laughs> and like, you're like, okay. Right, like I don't have to do this by myself, and I'm not the only one over here stretching. Um, and like, so you kind of start, you started to build and started to pick up. It was, I mean, th- this is almost 15 years ago, and it's yeah. very different from what people are doing now. It's way more dialed in, especially in the big MMA gyms. Um, but like, going over to Thailand, they train really, really hard, but they train really smart. Uh, and a lot of that is because of the fight frequency, like you were talking about earlier. So, like, you get there, and you wake up at 6 a or before Pad 6 a.m., huh? Pad Thai. Pad Thai, yes. first thing in the morning. <laughs> no, not even a little <laughs> yeah. bit. First thing in the morning, no food. You're off on 5 to 10 kilometer run, like, depending Fasted on the Fasted cardio.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And then you come back, and then you're gonna hit like a two hour yeah. actual training session. So you got like roughly three hours in the morning, and then this is where it kind of starts to change, right? Then it's like shower, eat, take a nap, eat, lay down, do nothing, hang out, relax, yeah. train again, do it all over again in the afternoon, at night, rest, eat, sleep, yeah. and do it again. You do that six days a week. Sunday, nothing. So it's like while you're still training hard and it like is kind of like old school in some ways, they are way smarter and they know way more than it looks like when you look at videos of like some yeah. of the Thai camps or you look at some of their schedules like they haven't figured out really well. And then all of a sudden like you have a fight coming up and you have a fight on the calendar and then you get done training and they'll work you and beat you down. And you're there, you finish your ab work, and they're, like, lay down, like, in the ring. One of the trainers would come over, full massage. Yeah. And then a couple nights a week they would do, and it sounds super weird, but basically like a hot water and soap massage. So they, like, lay you on, like, this wooden, like, almost like a chase lounge. Yeah. (laughs) And they lay you down there, and they have this big, giant bucket of water and soap. And they, everybody that's fighting, like, Boom, boom, boom! Everybody's getting like fifteen minutes of body work, and that's a couple days a week. So, like, you kind of start to see that. Well, the
0: accumulation of care is all all of a sudden
1: like it's a little bit different. And like you talk about, like some guy, dudes rubbing you down with hot water and soap in the states, and people are going to be like, "Oh, gross! Don't touch me." And the first time that I was in Thailand, I was at a camp where there was a lot of young kids, um, and I started to see like how interesting it was. But like these kids that are like. 14 15 16 years old like one of them's got a fight coming up and like in between rounds like one person's like pouring water rubbing shoulders down one person's rubbing their legs out before they hit their next yeah. pad round because it starts to mimic like what they get in their fight and like think about like a 15 16 year old boy in the united states like massaging their buddy like not gonna happen
0: <laughs> right yeah there's just like cultural norms so, that stand in the way so
1: like with the recovery side like it just starts to it just starts to look different and it starts to carry the things that are actually needed like there's there's this like self-care or just like care in general that you're getting and in order to train like they do in order to train as much as they do and fight as much as they do you can't do it if you're not taking care of yourself
0: right what a novel idea right (laughs) like
1: the way like the other camps that i was at it was like live there, eat there, sleep there. So, like, the food, the way that they feed you, everything's, like, fresh. Like, they're bringing a chicken in, plucking chickens. Like, they have gardens. They're pulling vegetables or the vegetable truck pulls up. So, like, everything is just very different in, like, the quality of food and the quality of care, even though from an outside perspective, it doesn't look like it. And you don't really realize it until you kind of, like, immerse yourself in it and you're there and you're like, oh, like. And the last time I was there, I was 30 – two years old, like, so like I'm on the old end and I'm training six days a week, six hours a day, and I fought three or four times. I think I fought at one point three times in four weeks. Like it's crazy. So like fast Well, I forward. think that pr-
0: the part of the problem in the States is like the. It's you it's all behind closed doors, like your example of this is really interesting because it's all right in your face, right? You train in the ring, you get massaged in the ring. Everyone's doing it. You're learning about this care system that's kind of baked into how they do stuff. You see the players on the field, they go to the locker room. You see the players on the pitch, they go to the locker room. You see people in the gym, they go to the showers. It's like there's never anything showing the room that we're in right now, which is this is in every single major sports team's facility is a spot dedicated solely to care from manual therapy, to Eastern medicine modalities to cold therapy, heat therapy. American top team is doing this. The UPI is doing this. They're expanding all over the world. It's just that there's been that like, there wasn't that shift yet. People weren't curious because I I also think less people in general, they were outside of the athlete world. Didn't really have a reason. It's like what they did, like the jazzercise class for 30 minutes. Right. And they were like, ah, I feel good. or I walked around my neighborhood, but now people are training. People are training like they mean it. And when you do that, you don't have the luxury of not taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah. So in a, I think it's, it's exactly that as much as like I'll be the first one to gripe on social media and people spend too much time on their phones and the Internet. But because of all that, there's so much more information available, right? Like, like I've been sitting in an ice bath for a long, long time because <laughs> I knew that the benefits were there because of, the people that I was surrounding myself and I was out there seeking right. it out to compete at the highest level, going back to what we were talking about as a little kid, like all I ever wanted to do is be the best. And I was willing to sacrifice and do whatever it took to be there. I saw the best fighters getting in garbage cans full of ice water. Right. Like I was going to do it too. Um, as I did it, I started to figure out why this works. And right. now you have people like Andrew Huberman who has a social media presence. He has a podcast. He's all over the place. He's on Joe Rogan's podcast telling everybody this is why ice bath is important. And then you get all the influencers that have podcasts that are doing it and picking up on it and having this benefit and that benefit, everything from fat loss to increased emotional, emotional state to better sex lives to like anything and everything under the sun, like hot, cold therapy seems to fix, right? If you look at nature, if an animal gets hurt in the wild, they have a wound? What do they do? They go find cold water and put the wound in cold water. It's like, it's something that's inherent and natural to what we do. But as humans, we like to get away from everything because it's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: my, my wife and I actually talked about it a lot is like, in order to get somebody to sit in the ice bath, you were just talking about it earlier that you have to give somebody the benefits. You have to speak their language, right? If I'm training women, and I want them to get in the ice bath because I know about all the benefits, like I can tell them it's gonna do this and it's gonna do that, but as soon as I tell them like, hey, there's a fat loss protocol, it will help you burn brown fat, this, we're gonna do this, this and this, they're sold instantly. Yeah, Right. it's to that connection point. Because there's that aesthetic that they're after like, and then all of a sudden like you have your athletes and you're like hey, you're gonna be able to train harder tomorrow because yeah, we you can know lift that if more. we train harder, we're going to be better. So you have able to put them in that. And that's like the little differences that you have to do is you have to be able to speak somebody's language and give them that why, why this is important, why you need to suffer for three to five minutes every day because the benefit will be so much bigger than how bad it sucks.
0: Well, and that's just an upfront speed bump. I mean, when you do this kind of stuff, you become – you become addicted to the sensation and that there's obviously, you know, hormonal releases that are going on in your body at the same time as a result of how cold it really is or how hot it is. And that's felt as a benefit. It's not just talked about like maybe it's tough the first time you do, but after a couple of times you kind of crave it when it, to touch on the social media part, um, how do you sift through the BS? I mean, <laughs> I mean you and I, right, we've both spent a, a large part of our lives invested in this kind of thing. Thinking about training from a high level about how to keep people healthy, how to look at their nutrition, their movement, their recovery and interweave all those things into their life so they can live like a quote optimal life. Knowing what you know and seeing what you see, what's the filter for this kind of stuff and Uh, and how do you advise people on on how to make decisions around social media? Because there is some valuable stuff.
1: Yeah, there's there's a ton of people that put out a ton of great content. Um, I like to think that the things that I put out are valuable for people. The things yep. that you're putting out are valuable. Um, my partners in Miami, uh, David Alexander and Donnie Raymond, um, they talk about qualifying your information. Yeah. Like, who is this person, and why should you be listening to them? Do they have reputable sources? Like, are they citing scientific journals? So our partner, Donnie, he's a biomechanist. Right. Right? So, like, he doesn't do anything if it's not backed by the science. And that speaks highly to me uh, because I am, I'm a numbers guy. Like I want to see, see the facts. Like I don't want somebody's opinion telling me what, what to do or what not to do. So like when you start to look through social media, like as soon as somebody says, I do this so you should do it too, that's like a major red flag right yeah. off the bat, right? Just because I do something. The way that I eat, the way that I train, the way that I do my recovery is probably not ideal for most other people because most other people don't live my life. Right. Or as soon as somebody has all this stuff and then there's a link to buy something, it's probably a red flag. Like, look for those people that are citing a scientific journal. Look for people that have those reputable sources, Andrew Huberman, right, like, everything that he talks about has some sort of science attached to it. Um, You look at like what you put out, like you're very much like this is the science. This is, this is what I do. I don't recommend that you just follow me blindly, but I'm giving you some ideas. So like I very much like that because that inspires people. It motivates people. But what you want, like, when you're looking through the social media world and even Google searches, is, like, if you really want to know something, you have to go to the science and be aware of people that are, like, oh, this is from this journal. If they didn't actually have access to that journal, they're probably just giving you the abstract from the front. And this is all stuff that I've learned, like, since being a part of DBC, right? Like, people will be, like, I don't know, like, we'll just – sit, sit in the ice bath for 15 minutes and it will have this benefit. And then like if you actually read that journal article, there might be something in there that disproves it where like you actually only need to sit in there for three minutes to get the same impact.
0: Well, I think this is, this is a problem of experts. Like you, you do need experts. We need experts. We want, we want academic experts. That's a good thing for society. It's important for you and I as coaches to be able to look up the ladder, and see someone who knows more than we do accept that and learn from them and understand that difference so like there is a difference between a coach who's been coaching for 17 years who is immersed in the, the data around training and the different modalities also aware of their blind spots that's a person to listen to that's a person to learn from but someone who's brand new who's doing a partnership with a uh, some energy bar that you know that the promises X, Y, and Z and they happen to be really strong. And so they accredit all their strength to something that has nothing to do with it. Anything that's like, like connected where it doesn't make any sense. You have to be really weary of that stuff. And it's in abundance online. Everyone's trying to sell snake oil.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, and I'm, I'm very much like at heart, like I really feel like I'm a coach Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate good coaching. Um, Nick, from the that owns the gym the way that he coaches is so good Uh, and i appreciate it so much because it's like progression 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 and here's some things to think about here's some things that i like to do from here but i want you to think about what you like to do from there right so he's like giving you like the the base understanding of it and then he's giving you some ideas and some things to think about so he's like making you a better practitioner because it's not like just do this move. Yeah. It's like, and with and in all fairness, like in his beginner classes, it's like, do this move, do this move, do this right. move. When he gets to like the mixed classes, he wants to get people to be better at jujitsu, not better at doing the move and jujitsu, right. right. Is all about like having an understanding and then being able to like have that creative touch. And I think that's, one of those things and kind of coming back to the don't trust people that are trying to like say that this is the only way right, right. Jitsu is like the perfect example the way that i set up an uh, arm bar is going to be very different than the way that somebody else sets up an arm bar me right. and you we basically have the same game so we do exactly the same thing right. all the time but oh, no. most people right like there's little varied pieces in there and if there's a coach saying that this is the way to do it and this is the only way to do it they're, they're wrong.
0: Well, that's the this is my biggest gripe in the fitness world and I think just in the world in general is anything that is dogmatic. If you're telling me that there's only a black and a white to every situation, I instantaneously don't trust you because as I've learned more things in my life about my own profession and learned that I know a lot less than I know, it means there's tons to be learned. And for that reason alone, you have to stay open minded about everything. So it could be something simple like a technique in jujitsu or it could be a training principle. And the fact that things change and they evolve and science fails forward, uh, it means that those kind of things are good situations. It's good to have options and the ability to grow. But when someone tells you it's only this way, it's like a surefire sign that it's definitely not.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I, and I think jujitsu is like an interesting one to like kind of use as the analogies, right? Because there are like certain things, like when you do an arm bar, like whether you're top, bottom, like, from the back, whatever, like, there's a couple things that have to happen. Like, if you want to get an arm around yeah, somebody... Yeah, to physically lock the like, joint. you have to have their thumb up, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. there's, like, those little things that have to be there. And then, like, you go to, to movement in general, and there's, like, certain ways, like, if you do this when you squat or deadlift, like, you will fuck your knees up. Yeah. If you do this, this, or this... You will fuck your back up. But if you keep all of this in position, you can have some variance there. But those things like have to be there. So there's like these like pieces that are like concrete, science-based, like period, the end, like you can't armbar somebody if you're pulling the elbow like the The wrong wrong way. way. It's just (laughs) not going to happen. Like once you start to understand that and you understand like those key pieces, that's where you start to get... The freedom right a good coach trainer whatever like if i just have somebody squat lunge push pull like basic movements every day they're not coming back to me day after day week after week month right. after month because they're going to get bored i know that there's like really only like so many movements that we're doing right. but i just add some variants, and i give them a slightly different way to do it that's going to challenge their system slightly mm-hmm. differently right there's like all those little pieces in like martial arts jujitsu muay thai like the way that like i have four different ways that i throw a jab mm-hmm. they're all like they're all a jab and there's like some base pieces that have to be there but there's some variance depending yep. on the scenario that i'm in in that moment like there's something else might have to come
0: up i think of um Like the deadlift is a good example, (laughs) not to hone in on one exercise and get stuck here in the weeds, but you know, when you're brand new to fitness, you've never done anything and you want to get stronger and you want to become more capable in life. A deadlift is a great thing to learn how to do. It's how do I get something off the floor, up into the air and put it on top of a countertop in a car, uh, into my my backpack, whatever it is. It's just like, it's a, a very good functional thing to understand how to do when you're learning. It can be really important to keep your back flat. That can be a great part of the technique. But if you look to the best lifters in the world, anyone who's ever set a record, they have some degree of spinal flexion in their lumbar. Do you want to tell the brand new lifter that they should be allowing spinal flexion when they feel like it? Absolutely not. I mean, the, the margin for error is massive, but to your point, as you develop this skill and you get further along that track, you are able to now have the freedom to start to do things that are maybe more complex. And I think that's like, it's such an important part of training. And it's something that I think people can look forward to because it isn't just push, pull, lunge, squat, deadlift, right? There's so much more things that you can do down the line. If you're dedicated to honing in on these skills in the beginning, and I think that's one of the reasons that I love what you guys are doing here so much at DBC is that you're invested in that process, right? A lot of trainers are invested in the hour and the money and they're invested in making people sweat, making things hard. That doesn't build longevity in someone's life. It doesn't make them more capable person when they go home and play with their kids. It doesn't allow them to take up interests that they didn't have before, like triathlon and running and doing things that you can do for the rest of their life. But when you invest in those kind of things at the ground level, this person is now becoming capable, which is a very different product of training.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's essentially like why, why we expanded and went from just having the training side to having the recovery side is, we we work with athletes and it's really nice for the athlete to kind of have like a one-stop shop but it's almost more important for the mom and the busy yeah. the busy corporate office people because they don't have time to go here for their training and then go somewhere else for their chiropractic adjustment and then try to track down an ice bath or have to go stop and get ice or deal with all that stuff at home like that is that is the beauty of what we're doing is like there's this simplicity to you just come here and you do everything that you need to do for your health and wellness and longevity and performance or whatever it is that you're after. And the other thing is people that start to come here, they understand that we have a very science-based approach and there's not like all this like extra complication around everything, right? Like how many different – things have you seen on social media in the last three weeks about how you should eat or the different times that you should be in the ice bath or that you should do this for your recovery or that. Like there's so much BS out there. It's like, it's so hard for the average person to know what to do. So most people just don't do anything. Yeah.
0: The worst, the worst outcome.
1: So like it's, it's really a very simple thing from the way that you need to train to the Way that you need to recover, right? Like, if I get somebody to sit in the ice bath and all they have time for is we do 55 minutes in the training room, Mm -hmm. and I can get them to come over here and do three minutes in the ice bath three to four days a week, like they will see benefits from that. Facts, they don't need to sit in the ice bath and then sit in the sauna and then sit in the ice bath and then do this and then do that, like, just get them in an the ice bath for three minutes. And if that's all they have time for, that's all they have time for. And the benefits are so much greater than overcomplicating it and telling them that they need 30 minutes because you're trying to get an extra half hour on your session price or whatever. Like, yeah. And I think that's what we've really tried to instill in the way that we do things. And like, we've been super fortunate with our partners in Miami is they've kind of already laid the groundwork for it. The San Diego community is very different than the community in Miami. So we have some things that look a little bit different, but the overall process and kind of the overall kind of guiding principles that we're doing like through DBC are the same. And it's giving people a place where things are simple and they're science based and nobody's going to BS anybody like, Do you have to pay for it? Yes. Like every, everything costs something. Um, Are our trainers more expensive than the guy that's training you out of the park? Like, like, yes, absolutely. We are like, does it cost money to have a recovery membership? Yes, it does. But what you're going to get out of it is going to save you so much long-term.
0: Well, this, I mean, it's not even a promo to say this is just, this is true. If you are invested at all in doing anything athletic, whether you are a runner, an Olympic weightlifter, a grappler, a striker, it literally doesn't matter what you do. If you are having output, you have to have recovery. You just, you do. Because what people don't realize is the best athletes in the world are. They're all doing it. They just might not all be talking about it the way that like Andrew Huberman is talking about it. They might not be doing a video like Joe Rogan is where it gets, you know, 60 million views of him just sitting in his sauna or this cold plunge, but they're all doing it. They're all recovering because it is an essential non-negotiable part of being an athlete. You can't have constant output if you're not taking a step back. And I'm sure you struggle from this too. It's very hard to do as someone who loves training because I would much rather in my perfect world, get another day of training in another day of, you know, pushing myself and the physical output then take a step back. But every single time I do, whether I'm forced to, whether it's because of travel, the sessions after that time spent away are always the best ones. It's where you're the fastest, the strongest, you jump the highest, you feel the best. And the kind of things that you guys are offering at this place, it is everything that people need that they didn't know that they needed. And it takes nothing more than one time doing it to totally feel I mean, it's instant gratification on recovery because if you do stuff, your body feels banged up. It's just part of it. You go for a long run. What happens? Your calves get tight. Your hamstrings get tight. Your hip flexors get tight. What does sauna and cold plunge and foam rolling and percussion therapy and Norma Tech boots do? It undoes all of that. But it's all in one roof. Like I did. I don't think people understand. So, so and, and <laughs> it's and like, so valuable. And like, here's
1: the crazy thing, right? Like as, as athletes and people that have, that have competed at such a high level, like. People, like I get the question all the time do you train people that aren't athletes and like the simple answer is yes but like in general like this place is almost more valuable for the non athlete totally for just the general population client mom banker firefighter like whatever because when you sit and do nothing people that are commuting like i would rather have some of those people just come in here and get an ice bath and the sauna at yeah. the end of their day, then train because mentally it's going to do way more for them, right? It's, it's going to de-stress, decompress. It's going to do wonders for their joints. Yeah. And those are those little pieces where like people kind of get mixed up. We had uh, one of our trainer's clients the other day. She's like, I haven't been able to get in since we opened. She's been in religiously like every night. She'll come in here for 30 minutes before, before she trains and ice bath sauna and kind of go through the whole thing. And she was like, it was last Thursday. I think she's like, ah, I haven't been able to come in all week. I haven't been able to do anything. I feel terrible, Yeah. right? And <laughs> you that, feel how
0: everyone else feels before they start.
1: And, that, and that's how most people live their life. They do nothing. Yeah. And if you can just get somebody, I, I'm sure there's some science out there on it, but somebody does nothing. They don't work out. They get in their car. They drive to work. They sit at their desk all day. They There's go a home. lot of
0: science out right. on that.
1: Right? <laughs> we, know, we know what's going on to those people, but if you could just get them to make a pit stop here
0: yeah.
1: on their way to work or on their way home, sit in the ice bath for three minutes, do nothing else, I bet you their whole body changes.
0: Well, it becomes a – it's like a positive – circle of reinforcement too Ronna patrick talks about this too who's another awesome source in the social media landscape of like actually valuable information of just like the baseline benefits of sauna use right for people that if you have a contraindication to exercise let's say that you can't run you can't walk long distances for whatever reason but you can get into a sauna protocol where you start to build that endurance within the sauna your heart rate's going to elevate it's going to be sustained for the duration that you're in there. And so now you're getting real life benefits from non-exercise from the sauna, which you weren't before. So literally what you're saying is true. Like you could be someone who is on their commute on the way home and you stop in and you do stuff that's not working out that may seem odd to you, but it can have physiological benefits, mental benefits. And and I think this is a really like personally, I think this is a cool part about what you guys are doing. And I'm. Bias because of the proximity to training, but there's an opportunity for community. And when you build community around positive habits in anything in life, again, it's that reinforcement. Yeah. I mean, right. and
1: that's why CrossFit was so successful, right? And yeah, I mean, they've messed some things up over the years, but like the one thing that they've done is they've built an amazing community yeah. around something that at one point was like driven around health and kind of lost that. But like that, the community piece is, is amazing. That's why, so many people go to the jujitsu places like they don't want to miss out. They don't want to miss, miss a day of training when everybody else is there and walking right. and not have that. Um, I know for me, the reason that I love going over to the gym is a the proximity, but I also know that there's no egos in that gym. And like the people in there are cool yeah. and I can go in there and I can train and not get hurt. Like yeah. I'm at a point in my life where I've been there and done it and getting hurt training is like the last thing that I need in my life. Right. Like I want to be able to play with my daughter and pick my daughter up and roll around on the ground and do all the things that she wants to do. And I've been in gyms where like you're getting hurt, like period the end. So like, Hey, if you're in a gym like that, you really probably need recovery. But I think the other side is, is like you just have to kind of have a place that, Gives you something that makes you feel good, and I don't like. I'm not trying to sell this place because there's going to be people that are listening to this that don't live here. Like, but like people just need to be doing the things every day that make them feel better. And most people that have that type A personality that just want to go hard all day, they probably work a job that's high stress and then their workout is probably high stress and we know that that's a recipe for disaster right their cortisol levels are raised all day at work and then their workout raises their cortisol levels and now they're fucked whereas their workout should be down regulating in some way they should be doing something that brings them back into like a down state instead of that up state especially if they're working out in the afternoon evening sleep cycles like you talk about sleep cycles and stuff a lot but like those are the things that I think it really missed in the health, fitness, training, whatever world. Um, you look at a lot of the guys that are doing jujitsu; like it's a lot of type A personalities. Yeah. Like they're in there and they're kind of like that, like rah rah rah, and they want to they want to be better. They want to compete, and I think some of them like they might be better off to a have a different attitude when they go and train and <laughs> relax and kind of like do yeah. jujitsu for what it is. It's like a relaxed art. And that's yeah. not to say like, especially like my style, the way that you roll, like like there's athletic movements in there, but yeah. like there's not like aggression through.
0: Well, it training. doesn't it doesn't I don't feel like aggression like ego just doesn't have that much of a place. I feel like on the jujitsu mats because there's always someone that could just trounce uh, like I, I feel like in most cases, maybe maybe if like the best person isn't there that day, but if someone walked in and they were like a total dickhead and they were wearing it on their sleeve, let's say Darwin's hip's fine, no problem. No problem at all, right? That person would just get checked instantly. They get checked. And I think that's one of the things that makes this so amazing. It taught me a lot about who I am. That's for damn sure. And I don't mean to like spit the gospel of jujitsu but like it definitely had a big impact on down regulating me as a whole despite it being a constant output but kind of checking myself and being like okay there are levels to this on all levels and strength and athleticism is good but it doesn't transition the way that you think it does there's a lot to be learned here and it was actually jujitsu a desire to get better at jujitsu that made me finally give a shit about taking care of myself because i'm a train six day a week, stay up before this, you know, past me was train six, seven days a week, stay up late, eat a ton of food. I don't need sleep, blah, 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 blah. And then when you're in an environment that's not truly testing that, you kind of float along. The second you get in an environment that's really dynamic where people are trying to fight you and you're trying to fight them in whatever capacity that's happening and you definitely upregulate with certain people and you don't with others, your body starts to feel it. And there was really this last year and a half where I really started to be like, I am going to put an effort into truly taking care of my body to a way that I really wish I did when I was Olympic weightlifting. I wish I did when I was training all the time. Because when you do, it makes a massive difference in your well-being, in your ability to sleep even, right? Because your body's not just throttled 24-7 on 7,000 RPMs. It's like you can take a step back a little bit and then everything gets better. Your training gets better. Your mood gets better. Being present for other people in your life gets better. It's so many benefits from investing in taking care of yourself. And yeah. that's applicable to the every man.
1: Yeah, every everybody. I mean, it's like right like for me like fighting taught me so much just about life in general and I look back and all the lessons and stuff that I've learned and I'm like, man, if I knew than what I know now, like my fight career would have been totally different. Number one, mm-hmm. I maybe would have still been fighting, um, if I was taking care of myself, like, and I, I would say that I was on like the front of taking care of myself, but not even close to what I would have like if I went back to my 23 year old self now, like I would have been a, I would have been in better shape. My nutrition would have been even better. Right. My recovery would have been better. Like all, all the things, right. It's, e- it's easy to look back and say all that, but. When you start to kind of talk about this ability to recover and this understanding and like the things that you get as you mature, right? Like when I was in Thailand, the way that they train and the way that they like, they hit the pads really hard, they hit the bags really hard. But sparring is fun.
0: It's like, like technical. Like, have smart. you ever
1: seen like videos of people sparring in Thailand? Yeah. They're like smiling, like no yeah. mouthpiece on. Like, like Sanchai has like one of the best like social media ever that's like great, it's dude. his so seminars funny. are hilarious like he's like typically like sparring with no shin guards on like yeah. no mouthpiece just like cruising around having fun and that's how sparring is over there it's fun like even clinch like we would do like 20 minutes of clinch straight like new person every minute and you're just moving around and it's like everyone's laughing and having a good time but you're working your ass off yeah. and the amount of that you raise your skill and your technique by doing that is so far beyond what happens when you're fighting.
0: But could you say that like, so in the MMA world though, would you say that there's some, some benefit to not being that? Like if you're training at team quest, there's some benefit to training the way that like Sean Strickland trains, right? For that sport. Or would you argue that I,
1: I would? I would say no. Like I think you should have. You should be fighting enough in your early years that you're getting that like test to learn, and that's like why the amateur stuff's good now. Because like you could go and you could lose ten fights as an amateur right. because you were learning and trying new stuff, and then figure it all out, and then turn pro, and you could win ten fights in a row, and now you're somebody that's valuable. Right. Um, But if you're in like in Thailand, it's right. I like you're. They're fighting two or three times a week when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, right? That's why they have three hundred plus yeah. fights by the time they're seventeen, eighteen. Like I, my last fight in Thailand, I fought a guy that was like three hundred and thirty fights.
0: How'd that go? Knocked him out with an elbow. <laughs> nice. That was so That was my last fight. That's how I retired. Like. <laughs> Good. Go
1: on. Um, it, I went out on a high note. I fought. It was like national Thai TV, yeah. um, and this guy was no slouch. And like, but I was I was better. Like I was I was stronger. I was more conditioned. Like the whole thing, right? Like they, I just had a different attitude. Yeah. Um, but like that, they have so many fights. So like, you look at somebody like Sean Strickland. I don't know how many fights he's had. Um, he's world champion in the UFC. Can't can't knock the guy but if he took some of that energy and put it into some technical work and sparred a little bit lighter and he wasn't as banged up as much like could he have been a world champion 3 or 4 years ago
0: right you Maybe. Don't know yeah
1: right like who knows and like let's see what happens like i don't know how old he is but like let's see like the longevity of a career
0: i think and that's that, the concern for and sure that's,
1: that's like the big difference is longevity, right? Like as an athlete, the longer you're an athlete, the more money you make, the more more valuable your name is. As a general human on the planet, the healthier you can be, the longer you are, the better quality of life that you have. And I think those are the things that like I look back and I've really learned from, and that's why my life looks the way that it does right now. Like I want to be able to surf, as much as i can and if i go on a surf trip i want to be able to surf non-stop and if my if i get home from riding my bike to work training people all day doing jujitsu riding my bike home and if my little girl wants to go run around in the backyard or go to the park or do this like i'm going to be able to do that like i don't want to have to ever say no and when you start to have that mindset the way that you train becomes very different totally I don't do the things that I know are going to hurt me. There's things that I like to do, but I just don't do them anymore.
0: Yeah. You probably love to spar, but uh, sparring yeah. every day of the week probably isn't the best thing. If that's and, what your focus like,
1: is. And when I change jujitsu, like there's things that like, like I'll just tap because like, Why? like maybe I can find out of it, but like I got caught in a position that I shouldn't have been in anyway. So like, I might as well tap out, learn from it, make maybe a so. mental note, don't do it again and then move on mm-hmm. and figure it out rather than like, Maybe I'm out a week. Maybe I'm out two weeks. Maybe I'm out a month. Maybe I fucking... Maybe you
0: never roll again because it was bad, right?
1: And and it took me a long time to get here. Like having my little girl definitely changed the way that I looked at life. And I mean, I retired in 2016. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then I had like tried to go in and train a couple times. And I was just like, I can't do this. And then what What year is it, 2023? <laughs> a right. lot I, of CTE over I there. Think, <laughs> so 2016 to 2023, yeah. I finally have like been able to be in there consistently and I've taken a much different attitude. If I show up late because I have a client, yep. I just roll in and I get as much out of the days that I'm in there as I can. I have fun with it, I have no ego. And like I'm learning, I'm having a good time. Uh, People look at me and think that I'm just a blue belt because that's what color my belt is. Right. <laughs> um, and then I typically like, get people that don't know me that try to go way harder than they think that they should because right. I'm, they think I'm a regular, whatever. Um, and I, I, think it's, I think it's just an interesting time in my life, especially to be training. I know what my goals are. I know why I'm doing it. And I think that's really, like, what matters. And it's the same thing I tell all my clients. Like, know why you're here. And if you understand why you're here, the investment becomes worthwhile and it's easier to come in and and make those sacrifices, whether it's the money that you're spending or the time that you're spending or the little bit of uncomfortableness that you're feeling getting in the ice bath every day, whatever. But, like, those are the things that I think get missed, and especially in the younger generation or the people that, haven't done anything at a high level Mm -hmm. and they're just like still trying to hold on to that like well I'm going to go hard because I have something to prove attitude and I think from a professional standpoint like I know that I'm way better off because I get to surround myself with a bunch of great trainers that have a bunch of skills that I maybe don't have or have a background that I don't have and I get to learn from them I go in and roll I would prefer to roll with Brown belts and black belts and get smashed all day long because I learned way more that way. And I was the same way when I was fighting. Like I was not the best in the gym. But came come fight night, I knew how to turn it on and I knew how to win Yeah. because I wasn't afraid to put myself in bad positions and I wasn't afraid to lose in the gym.
0: Well, that's a really important part in anything in life is being able to stomach loss and then not let it destroy you because you're going to experience it on a lot of different levels experience on a life level losing people that you love you're going to experience it in a in a training setting when you can't do things that you want to do you'll definitely experience it if you do martial arts because you're going to get beat by people you think that you're better than and that's part of the process but that whole ability i think it separates interesting people from uninteresting people is a willingness to take an l and go forward with it or same thing, tap and learn from it. Not just tap and get frustrated and storm off the mats, but what what happened there? What was the opportunity? What did I miss? How did I end up in this position? Can we workshop that? Can we get through it? And that's a valuable skill to take anywhere. And that the, the goal that you set, I mean, that's like the underpinning of my life is a willingness to say yes to anything. And the examples that you give are examples that I've lived in real life, from surf trips to uh, playing with like nephews and cousins and you know, I want to be a father soon one day. And that's a big part of my ethos is like, I don't want to be a dad. You know, by the time I have a 20 year old, if I had him today, I'm going to be 54. I don't want to be busted ass 54. year old <laughs> do like, can't keep up so lame, dude. Like how unexciting about life to just be like a, no, no, you go play with your friends kind of attitude. No, like I, I never want to say no because I didn't do the things necessary that were available to take care of myself, to be in that position from jujitsu to strength training, to whatever. Just like if someone calls me and they ask me if I want to go do some shit, I want to say, yeah, that's literally why I train. That's the only reason besides the mental benefit and the love for it of how it makes me feel. But I go into the gym twice a week, every single week for since I was 16 because I never want to have to answer that phone call if it's in my power and say no, because I didn't fucking take care of myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think I think that's like I can't. I've never had to do it. That's not true. I had one fight that I couldn't take because I had just got knocked out, and it was kind. It was like outside of my control, but it's right. still. And this was fifteen, maybe longer than that ago, and it still like eats at me that I couldn't take that fight. And but I that's out I, yeah. I had to I mean, give it. Yeah, that's a medical. But, a, but like, at the same time, if I would have taken care of myself better and I didn't yeah. get knocked out, then I wouldn't have had to say no to that fight. But like, those are those little pieces that, right, take the lessons from fighting and move them yeah. on to everything else, right? Yeah. Somebody asked me to go on a surf trip. Cool. I'm, I'm in. You're there. Somebody asked me to do this. Cool. I'm in. Like, if I wanted to compete in a jujitsu tournament tomorrow, like, I could go and do it. Yeah. I don't have any desire to compete. Or Darwin was trying to get me to go to Vegas in November yes. to compete and I laughed at him <laughs> and said I'm not not I'm not into that. Yeah. Um and like because my goals in jiu-jitsu are very different, right? Like I right. I have nothing to prove to anybody other than myself. Yeah. And and I see people in there and like I don't I don't know everybody in there and I don't know their stories, but like you walk in there right now and there's 3, 4, 5, 6 guys off and on, wandering in, that just had shoulder surgery.
0: I know, right? Don't and get me like, started on, on uh, the neck, shoulder situation. So,
1: I... and I and I I have no idea what their background is, yeah. but to kind of prove my point and like to kind of for the sake of the conversation, like, what is that doing to their life? Right? Surgery is expensive. Well, are it's they debilitating taking, Are they taking too, man. time off of work? Like. Was it avoidable? Was it avoidable because they could have just checked their ego and tapped? Was it avoidable if they would have just taken it upon themselves to do some self-care, whether it's stretching an ice bath and sauna or lifting some weights or running or being better with their nutrition? Like, those are the things that, like, I see, and I'm just like, you could be so much better, and –
0: well, I think the, the the problem is that people I, I really feel for people in those situations and, and, and I talk to them probably as much as you do It's like a lot of people just don't they don't know, you know, like they're they're like, hey, man, what should I do for my how many people do you know that have a neck injury and a shoulder injury for real? Like that are showing I had to stop someone the other day. I'm like, dude, don't stop training. Like, don't tra- your neck. You just told me your neck's hurt. Like, how bad is it? A seven out of ten? Get off the mats, like yeah. because because you don't they know. feel
1: like they have something to prove, and I think yeah, I mean that's one of the or things. it's
0: their only outlet, their and only. so they slate all the chips onto that without understanding that to do something athletically dynamic, you have to have these other pieces in place. Yeah,
1: and I and I think it's interesting. Like, I mean, people have to do the same thing with you that they do with me. Where especially when I walked in there, right? I was walking in in April with a blue belt with no stripes on it. Like nobody knew who I was. Um, I don't like, like other than my nose until you kind of talk to me, like you don't look at me and go like, Oh, you're a fighter. Like like I'm just in there. Like just like everybody else. But I grab onto a purple belt or a brown belt or a black belt and at best they're not submitting me or I'm dominating positions on them. Or I'm submitting them like that technically should not happen,
0: right? But you have a history,
1: right? Yeah. But I, I do have a history in some ways, right? Like I trained and I'm not like technically like time wise on the mat. I'm probably not really a blue belt. I'm probably right. beyond that. But the first thing that I would do in my head is be like, "What is that guy doing? I need to do that too because." I should be better right like right. when when you grab onto me right and you start to move there's a speed and a strength and an athleticism that's there that isn't there with a lot of the other people that do jiu-jitsu and this isn't just our gym this is people yeah, training jiu-jitsu all, all over yeah. the place and I've trained with people all over the world and there's this like really interesting thing like when you grapple with somebody that's strong. And I don't mean like, Oh, they lift weights and strong, but they have like, they've done something other than jujitsu their whole like life. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, there's something really interesting about the way that that person moves yeah. and the way and like the strength and the heaviness that they have comparatively to somebody that only does jujitsu. Totally. Right. Like, I can grab onto somebody and, like, at the end of the day, like, I will dominate the positions even though I'm technically worse, but because I'm stronger.
0: Yeah. Well, they'd say, like, the – it's silly. When you get involved in Jiu-Jitsu, someone along the line very early on is going to tell you don't use strength, use your skill, right, which is hilarious because you don't have any skill because you just started But it should really say, use the fuck out of your strength. Just use it at the right time. That's what you really want to do. And when you roll with somebody who's athletic, especially as the skill level goes on and they've been doing it for longer, that's what you're feeling. You're feeling someone who is strong, but they're not using their strength all the time. They're using it sometimes when it's an advantage. And that's overwhelming.
1: Well, and like, so and like the other pieces are like my 50%, right? Like
0: might be someone's 80.
1: So right. And like, and this is, and like, I don't, I don't lift like I used to, there was a point where like my strength numbers were like way greater than they should be. But like I've deadlifted well over 500 pounds. I've squatted well over 400 pounds. I've bench pressed well over 300 pounds, right? Like I've done all those things and that strength is there. So like when I grab onto somebody or when I put my frames into somebody, like, And I'm just like hanging out laughing like the video that Eric shot of us the other day. Like like I have a big smile on my face like while I'm rolling like through positions and through scrambles and stuff. Cause I'm just like it's fun. I'm just like having a good time and I don't have to like think and have to try really hard to do that because I've done it all for so long and I can be relaxed with that. It's the same thing, like you grab somebody like Nick or Darwin where they've done it for so long and they've trained and they've done all that stuff. And the way that they move is so effortless. Yeah. Like that's what I feel like people should be striving for. And unless you have the time to be on the mat all day, every day, like there has to be some sort of supplementation. Yeah. Somewhere to get that. And it's and it doesn't have to be a lot. Like I think most people would benefit in the jujitsu world just by doing like some simple like stability stuff, like shoulder stability stuff. Hip stability stuff, some core work where they actually learn how to use their core in yeah. the right way. And if like just by getting people to turn that stuff on, all of a sudden somebody puts their frames in and it feels really different. Yeah. All of a sudden somebody grabs a hold of you in a guard and they throw their legs up and it feels different because there's that like that heaviness and that stable side of them. Whereas like somebody that's like just like a weak person, like they could be really good at jujitsu and they can have all the moves and all the skill set, but you just blow through everything because like in and that's not saying like using your strength, but like you just like move through it because they don't have the ability to hold on to you. And I think I think that's one of the jujitsu things that I've always like laughed at is people train and they like get so caught up in being good at the moves in jiu-jitsu that they forget about like actually being able to defend themselves.
0: And I well there's this other element to it which is if you were like it kind of always blows my mind when I see people that are that only do one thing all the time. I mean even CrossFit to some degree you see this cuz it, it it's very it can be culty in good and bad ways. But you will see someone like the very first question I would ask myself if I was getting into jujitsu is how do I stay safe doing this? Like, what do I have to do outside to make sure? Cause look at what you're doing. This is not a walk out of your office onto the mats activity. It's extreme hip flexion. It's forced thoracic rotation. It's taking any mobility in any joint that you own and then forcing it where it might not exist constantly all day long for every training session you ever do for as many years as you do it. So how can you and, and I don't mean to like. I don't know. I want to phrase that even better. Like, what are you missing when you when you don't consider that that me, that mandates care outside of the mats? Like you need to be doing some stuff with your body to make sure that it doesn't get jacked up. Why are people hurting their shoulders and their necks and basic jujitsu Jitsu class stuff because they go to plant their arm behind them and that has no stability. So it gets jacked up they go to bridge or there's someone pushes them over and their head hits the ground and their neck has no stability and their cervical spine is just all noodly. So yeah, everyone's getting hurt because they're not doing anything on the outside. So you take untrained people with uh, nervousness and a like an unexpected nature of the sport. It's unpredictable and it's new. That's like a recipe for disaster. So almost to like pull this all together and it again, there might be people that are listening that aren't proximal to this place. This can kind of be the start to that. It's like your recovery protocol and taking care of yourself can be the beginnings of starting to care about your body in the sport that you're doing. And it doesn't have to be jujitsu. It could be that you're in a run club and you guys run six days a week. Well, you know what? If you're running that kind of mileage, you got to care for your ankles and your knees and your hips, or maybe not this year, but in a couple of years you're going to have a serious problem and it might jack up your whole social life because your whole identity now is run club and you've done nothing to take care of your body. Now you can't go to run club anymore because your body's all jacked up. So like whatever sport you're doing, wherever you are in the world, understand that it doesn't take a huge investment, but it does take an investment into your strength and your recovery to keep doing it for nothing else, to just keep having more days on the mats. Have more days in your striking class, your cardio boxing class, have more days in your run club, more days swimming, open water, or triathlon. Whatever the sport is, if you're not an 18 year old trying to be the best in the world at it or on that trajectory, you got to start taking care of yourselves.
1: Yeah. And and that 18 year old that's trying to be the best in the world, like they've got to take care of themselves too. too, Right. And it's, I mean, it's super interesting. I just did an assessment with a pro skateboarder the other day. Who? Um, Cole. Forget his last name. Um he's from Chicago Chris origin- Cole?
0: Huh? Chris Cole?
1: No. Oh no, 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 no. Younger. Well there's kid. a lot of locals pro Young, younger here. kid. He's from Chicago. Yeah. Um, he lives up in LA now and he's kind of here uh, back and forth part time his girlfriends down here
0: in training. Another field. sport, having grown up a skateboarder who used to like compete skateboarding and do tons of street shit. Also wish I knew about recovery and strength training when but I was skateboarding.
1: It's, it's like okay, how good how do we do the most we can with as little know. as possible and not like kill you financially so we went through our assessment had one of our guys do all of his measurements and stuff and i was like okay like these are the stretches that you need to do these are the basic movements that you need to do you can do it on your own this will change the way that you can skateboard because it'll start to put you in better positions your body won't hurt every day like all those little things and it's like from a young age to as old as you can be if you want to live a healthy quality life right like you have to take care of yourself and there's like some really basic things like in my opinion cold plunge is like a that's like a bonus it's not it's not necessary right like sleep well eat well and stretch and if you can if you have no time other than that like, you're still way better off than most people.
0: Dude, and I don't, I don't want to hear it when people are I, like, this drives me up the wall. This drives me up the wall because I couldn't agree with you more on those. Sauna, luxury item. Cold plunge, luxury item. A lot of the, what we see in a facility like this, it's a facility to help people recover with the best things available. But a lot of these are, they're in addition to what is already available. When people shit on stretching, I'm like, you, then you just, you've, I'm sorry, but you've just never done anything at a level before. Yeah. That's why. That's why you think it's dumb or you think that there's some study that's some outlier BS about how it doesn't really help. Just like time <laughs> out because you're an idiot. It is so valuable. You're talking about the longevity of your joints. Your body is just made of joints. And if you don't take care of them, like you got to stretch your muscles and you got to put care into the joints that do all the sports you love. I am like a diehard religious stretch person every single night. And I've done this now for going on two plus years. Again, this is like something that I do. Take it with a grain of salt. But it has been the single biggest impactor in how my body feels on a day to day basis. That coupled with sleep, the two biggest things that I've addressed, whole, like full on, over the past decade have been taking my sleep seriously carving out habits around that to reinforce it and taking my stretching seriously and I they work
1: dude when you when you have a baby you'll get to see the other side of what <laughs> happens when you don't sleep
0: <laughs>
1: I'm terrified
0: yeah um, terrified. but
1: no like the stretching thing's interesting and that's like for me literally like if I don't do my corrective stretches like neck shoulder stuff like really basic it takes yep. me like five minutes to do. If I don't do them, I will wake up in the middle of the night with arms asleep, hands asleep, yeah. like and it's leftover damage from fighting and like if I was stretching while I was fighting and being better about that side of it throughout my young yeah. career, maybe I maybe I didn't end up with the same problems. Maybe I didn't retire because I couldn't push myself up off the ground anymore. Like, yeah. right? like there's all, all sorts of things and right this is part of like why I love what I do. And I love to work with the athletes that I get to work with is because I feel like I can give them all of the things that I had to learn the hard way.
0: That's what makes a good coach. Right.
1: And like that's, those are the little pieces like baseball off just started. So I have a couple of my guys back and having, having this side with them is a total game changer. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, we work hard and their base baseball season's long number one. And then the off season is also long. So it's a lot of work and they're a lot of repetitive movements doing the same things over and over again. But like being able to, before their sessions put them on the compression boots and being able to make sure that they're coming in here and they have like those, that the luxury items to perform at that level is so amazing. And I'm so jealous in so many <laughs> ways. Like I remember <laughs> that like, they have that. Yeah. When I, When I was fighting, like, I remember, like, stopping at the gas station and picking up, like, five bags of ice in my apartment and bringing it to my apartment and, like, carrying it in and, like, sticking it in my bathtub and then having to, like, sit in there and then drain it and then try to take a hot shower to have the contrast, right? Like, doing things, like, the hardest way possible. (laughs) The most (laughs) uh, MacGyvered way ever. Right. Like, and you just figure it out and. Um, I was fortunate, like, towards the end of my career to get connected with compact STEM devices and start to understand that and how to use that for recovery. And now it's like, have, I could have all of that, like, as a tool, yeah. like, right here. And, again, like, luxury items, and this is me just, like, being excited about, like, what I have the opportunities to do as a trainer and as a coach. And having Darwin so beat up, backs, backs jacked up, hips jacked up, Nick's hips jacked up. He's trying to compete still and being able to like pay that forward and be like, Hey guys, like come over here and jump yeah. in. Like Nick was able to come in and jump in the ice bath the other day. He's trying to figure out his schedule to where he can come over here consistently. And like, that's a cool thing. And kind of goes back to that community piece, right? Like yeah. I fortunately get to be in the same complex as the Jitsu gym that we train at. And literally like, it's a one minute walk from their building to our building and to be able to go back and forth and to be able to have you coming back and forth. And it shows it's like if Nick starts coming in here and he starts feeling better, what's that going to do to the community over there? It's going to raise everybody's level. And I think those are those things and kind of tying this all back to like that team conversation that we had at the very beginning, right? Like once you are able to surround yourself with those people that want to be better and want to be great and, for me to have something to offer and to be able to kind of have that reciprocation. Like Nick's been amazing. He helped me get ready for MMA fights back, back in the day and showed me a lot of cool stuff that like I wouldn't have learned without him. And he always did it. It took extra time out of his day. He'd have me stay after, come in before and like now to be able to have something where I can help him. Yeah, This is a really cool thing. Same thing with you. Like you're, you have clients in the area off and on, like you'll be able to send people over here and it's just a way to give the community something that it doesn't have right now.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the place to be. We'll, um, we'll put in the the show notes, all the contact information, everything so that people can reach out to you. They can come through, they can try it out if you're in the area. It's honestly a blessing of a thing to have. I really can't, you know, like overstate the value of having something like this, especially proximity to Jiu-Jitsu for us that are training so frequently. So to be able to come in and talk about it, show the space, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think this is going on maybe the longest recording that we've had. So Casey, thank you for for taking the time to do this, the official first in-person episode. And I really appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks for having me.